in the books and with it another era of Penn State football so what better way to kick off a new era prematurely than change things up here on the podcast here Andrew Callahan and John Fitz is always wrapping up 56-44 Penn State over Nebraska we're not going to lead with a recap of that game we're going to lead with our mailbag questions how about that wow you're going crazy this I am uh, so leading off, we had submissions from Twitter and the board. As always, you can reach either us on Twitter or the podcast account Sean created a couple of months ago. That uh, following has slowed down, by the way. We don't, we haven't even hit two hundred. It's really unfortunate. Actually, the following of the podcast. If you look at the numbers, you know, after that Michigan State game, people bailed, and that's that's kind of taken personal by us. But uh, that's not on us. That is on you. We appreciate at home. We appreciate those that didn't take your ball and go home. And thanks for listening. But. Uh, yeah, we'll go right into the pot, or excuse me, right into the mailbag questions. Uh, any panic with respect to next year's defense, given the second half performance? And that that was something that you know, if you looked on our message boards, um, people were really, really upset at the end of last game because it turned from a fifty-six twenty-four game into a fifty-six forty-four game. Um, obviously, the, the final score not indicative of how dominant Penn State was for much of that ball game. But you know, a little bit of panic can set in when you see that you know Nebraska. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Look at you team me up for, I think, the fourth straight week I might have a rant. Um, now, I wrote about this, as I always do, in Tail of the Tape. So you can go to the site, find my full breakdown there, you know, stats, X's and O's, GIFs, etc. But it basically came down to this. There is no reason to panic with respect to next year. There is still so much football between now and then for players to develop, show up, and even just specific to the situation of how did we go from 56-24 to 56-44. First of all, you're facing one of the best passing attacks in the country, whether you like to assess it as so or not. Tanner Lee and those wideouts have plenty of talent right there. And again, this all transpired with just seven minutes to go. For the majority of this game, Penn State dominated. There's no need to argue about that. But when they did score, they scored on the final play of regulation. They needed an onside kick to get there. And on the three final drives, they torched a secondary full of freshmen. Okay, so not only are these players capable enough to put up, you know, 300-plus passing yards and multiple touchdowns, but they're doing so against second and third stringers. There's no reason to worry. There was one other factor in there, which I'm not going to say, because, again, you should go retail the tape, and that leads out with uh, this week's edition. But no need to panic. You know, September is so far away. You know, when it, when it came down to it, Penn State's first stringers got the job done. I agree with you to an extent. Uh, no need to panic, but I think there, the questions looking forward to next year's defense are worth noting, uh, especially up the middle. We've talked about it several times. Defensive tackles, middle linebacker, and safety. Um, you know, the corners were the ones that got beat, but Tanner Lee, by the way, much better than I expected, especially coming out of concussion He's just protocol. Yeah, very streaky, very streaky. Um, but yeah, for, uh, straight up the middle, uh, I think there's going to be questions, but what we saw against Nebraska, I don't think changes anything. You know, the, the question marks were always going to be there. Uh, I'm fine with the corners moving forward. The safeties, you're going to have questions about Monroe. Uh, of course, Nick Scott, uh, we're going to see a lot more of him this week with Troy Apke out with a targeting penalty. Um, so the, I'm not at panic level yet, but you're just curious about what's going to go on, especially at middle linebacker next year. Small side, because we got to keep rolling. But the, the whole idea of panicking at any point, I understand it's in the nature of the college football fan, but if you're not just panicking about Saturday, you want to panic about September, I mean, what are you going to do besides then in just a second? Like, what does that accomplish? If you, if you let that ruin your Saturday night, yeah, I mean, take a step outside, do something. I mean, because we saw that on the boards. I mean, there, 
people furious after the game, and Penn State just put up 56 points. But even forget just being upset and angry. I mean, this is something that, of course, is naturally outside of all of our control, which is generally not a good thing to be upset about. But forget this is not something in the present. This is something in September. I am not in control of what's going to happen in my life in next September. So why why is the idea or the motivation to panic? Like, if you think about it for a second, it's entirely absurd. Which, again, going back to college football fan, that's why we're here and appreciate you. But <laughs> Keep following us all year long. Yeah. Mine's 24-7. Yes. <laughs> Keep a level head. You'll be happier for <laughs> um, Next question with the mailbag as we lead off uh, this latest episode. Speaking of panic. Yeah. When, um, well, there are two left. But I'm going to go with the one that's uh, not as fun. When does grad transfer news crop up? And this is important. Um, but this is more your area expertise. Yeah, I think people are looking at grad transfer, especially a linebacker. Um, I don't know that they're going to have the space moving forward. They're going to sort out the recruiting class first. Because they're going to figure out, looking to pick someone up. No, yeah. one, no one's leaving, of Right, course. right, right. And and that's something that may change a little bit with the December signing period. I think when, when you're a college coach looking at this, you know how much space you have roughly coming out of that uh, December signing period. And you know that going into February, you know, in the, in the old system as well. But at the same time, I mean, you've got these guys locked in, so you know where they're going to be and when they're going to get to school. You've got early enrollees that come in and everything like that. So I think it's cleaner from a numbers standpoint. Uh, from from an actual grad transfer standpoint, the new year is obviously, um, you know, when, when these guys are going to, graduate in December, move on. I look to March. A lot of these guys take a, take spring, spring ball visits and things like that, you know, late February, early March. And that's when they decide. So, um, if you're looking at grad transfers, it's, it's probably not happening anytime soon. Um, if, if you're looking for, for linebackers, if you're looking for, you know, safety or something like that, um, probably going to have to look at Mac teams, things like that, or places with coaching changes. And there's a good bit of coaching changes. So, it's always um, every year. Yeah, and and I don't think this year is going to be completely different. Um, I, I sort of like to downplay the impact that a grad transfer can have um, because if somebody's you know grad transferring and they're not going to the NFL, I don't know that they can come in and start right away at Penn State. I don't know that we've seen it. You know, just going to linebacker. T.J. Neal was a guy at, at Illinois who was fairly productive for the Illini. You know, not a prototype NFL guy. Ended up at Auburn, became a reserve. What are the chances you're going to get a starting linebacker, bona fide stud at, at that position? That's that's sort of up in the air, and, and and I don't know that it's the right answer. I know the staff will explore it. They do that. They they turn over every sort of stone when they're looking at potential guys, and that includes. Well, the other flip side of that is you don't necessarily have to be a stud if your competition is really just more of the solid nature. I mean, yeah. if you're just a step above whatever they have, they're going to go with you, right? And but I mean, which it, I think is why we're having this discussion, right? And you look at those guys and, and did a little bit of research, very bare bones research into this. Uh, Austin Valdez was a guy at Bowling Green. He was an all conference MAC linebacker. He went to Syracuse. And I think he's got 28 tackles this year. He's by by no means a star or anything like that. A depth guy, and you know Penn State may need a depth guy right now because you, you don't know what's coming back at middle linebacker, and, and and there's questions about the guys that are on campus already. So um, going back to it, Penn State's going to turn over everything. They're going to look at junior college guys. I don't see any immediate impact guys um, that they're going to jump on, especially with the scholarship uh, numbers being as they are. Um, they're going to look at junior college guys, grad transfers, anything like that. Um, don't know that there's a quick fix at linebacker. Um, so I, I guess we'll sort of see what's going on and try not to panic, right? Yep. Uh, someone who was never panicking, Marcus Allen. And this is, leads to our last question. Which senior player will you miss covering most? You know, again, there's no real personal attachment, but there's obviously a, a difference covering person to player. You know, when you look at some of these guys, you know, some everyone has a different personality. 
Marcus is, I think, most known for his personality, if not his play on the field. So when, when it comes to just a quote here, just you know, a, a laugh there, or just being frank about certain things. I mean, he was a guy you could always go to after a game um, and, and get not only what you needed, but you know, uh, a, a good time. Yeah, 23 seniors. Uh, probably got a story about each of them. We talked about him last week. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton's one of those guys that just has... You know he's got a comeback for everything, um, and he's he, he's really done a lot on on the field in his career. We talked about it last week with with him and Mike Gusecki. Um They're back and forth on social media and everything like that. So it's been fun to cover him. I, you know I like those 2013 guys um, because it was sort of a class that you know if if you were on the site at that point uh, through, through the 2012 after the sanctions and everything, you knew it was a different class and you knew it was a different uh, group of kids that were going into something that maybe they didn't realize the scope of what they were going into. So you look at, uh, you know, Hamilton eventually signed with them. Uh, Brennan Mann was a guy Andrew that... Nelson. Yeah, Nelson was there. Um, Brennan Mann was a guy that I have always gotten along with tremendously. He was He's always been very candid. He's been up front. Um, he likes to tell stories. He likes to, to you know go back and forth and, you know, he's coming off the field. He'll give you a shoulder block or something like that. He's a big guy, um, but he'll give you a shoulder block. So I've really enjoyed covering him. Um, good question. I could, Like I said, I could go into all these guys, uh, all the 23 guys. I just think, um, you know, off the top of my head, uh, Josh McPherson is a kid that I met when he was in 10th grade at a Next Level Nation combine that also had uh, Trevor Williams was there, Daquan Davis was there, um, down in D- right around D.C., uh, just a uh, magnetic personality just popped up. And this is a kid that persevered. He went to Nassau Junior College. He, you know, he, he bounced a couple of places and then he landed at Penn State. Um, you know, he's on the kickoff team this year. One, I was hoping he would get a carry this weekend. Yeah, I was really surprised he didn't. And But uh, he's just been a, uh, one of those glue guys in the locker room. Uh, you know, he, he, I think he got one of those spring scholarships last spring. Uh, so that was great to see. But, you know, just stories like that, uh, you know, keep you coming back when you're when you're talking about covering recruiting, covering the team. So, um, you know, hat tip to Josh McPherson. He's a great kid. Um, obviously, his, his younger brother. Um, plays on the team as well so he will be around the program moving forward but yeah great group of seniors been fun to cover the last uh, five or six years all right and back to your regularly scheduled programming uh nebraska review we talked about the defense a little bit you know it's a 42 to 10 game at the half penn state dominated for the most part and that was largely due to the offense my biggest impression from this honestly was it felt like a flashback the end of 2016 where you have just these stretches that they're rolling you talk about the rose bowl second half against michigan state second half against wisconsin where you had five straight touchdowns leading in halftime and yeah barkley was at the center of that with over 150 yards on the ground 66 through the air and three touchdowns but kasiki had a couple scores you know tompkins had a score mcsorley was scoring on the ground i mean it was just a a well-rounded just explosive attack was there someone else in the game you want to point out nope no, nobody? No. Not even a backup wow. quarterback that came in? Oh, did he score a touchdown late? Tommy he, Stevens? He did. I had to give you that one. Had to give you that one. Um, yeah, it was it was a, a long game, that's for sure. Um, it was uh, it was one of those things that, you know, the 4 o'clock start felt like a 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock start by the end of the game. All right, out of negative town. Out of, <laughs> I will get out of negative town once I, yeah. The the start was not great. Uh, you know, James Franklin referenced in the, in the, at the uh, post-game press conference that Penn State did not really play the complete game. Special teams was lacking. But at the end of the day, you scored 56 points. Barkley was very good. The offensive line, as you mentioned last week, Nebraska doesn't do much in the backfield in terms of tackle for no. loss or anything like that. You nailed that. They um, only had two. Both of them were sacks. And the other part about this with the offense, 609 yards, nice, was the most they've had since 1995. That's insane. Um, the Just... 
they did it in every every which way. Jawan Johnson looked like a professional, you know, he looked like an NFL wide receiver um, with some of the plays that he made beyond the one-handed catch that was just ridiculous. Trace McSorley threw a couple strikes. The the second touchdown to Mike Jasicki Mike was uh, one of the best throws I've seen him make in the last two years. So a lot of positives, mostly on the offensive side of the ball. So yeah, that's basically all, all I can say about that. Everything worked. I wrote about it post-game. They just had such a feel for what Nebraska was going to do. And again, that's a defense that predominantly plays zone coverage. It plays right into their RPOs. You know, McSorley is not going to face a whole lot of pressure. The offensive line stepped up too. I mean, the last that we've mentioned, but they really should have been first because, as we said, two tackles for loss. And this is an offense where that's really been the core of their struggles. It's just backfield invasions. Barkley's not allowed to get going because defenders are penetrating through that line. It didn't happen once in the run game. Again, a couple of sacks are going to happen pretty much every contest that you have. But McSorley was able to scramble out of some more. And it started with that physicality, which, you know, has been a talking point for so long. But this was, they finally brought it to life and you could see what this offense is able to do when those guys up front step up. And when you start like that and, you know, tweeted out Saquon Barkley with his fourth uh, first touch touchdown in seven games, which is just ridiculous when you think about it. When you can start like that, and sure, they had the, the, the punt mishap and Nebraska got the lead or whatnot, but at the end of the day, that first, you know, surge that they got with Saquon Barkley, the the, the long touchdown run, yep. that's got to do wonders for your confidence as an offensive line. And, um, you know, even they didn't have Ryan Bates back uh, on the field, he was in uniform, which is, I think, is a great step. Uh, I Same think with Ryan Buckholz too. Before yes, we forget that. Yeah, absolutely. Having both those guys at least as available as they are is a great thing. Um, but beyond that, uh, there's got to be a little bit of confidence coming in. Uh, I was interested to see Michael Manick get in the game. I, it looked like a scheduled series. I don't know if there was a, an issue with Brendan Mann. We were watching him the whole series. There was no trainers around him or anything like that. So Yeah, he called know. it maintenance. I asked him afterward. He hesitated a little bit and didn't jump <laughs> on scheduling. But whatever it was, it was insignificant enough that he played the rest of the game. Yeah, and it was insignificant enough. You're not going to take too much away from that. But, you know, Manick no. getting getting him some snaps in there is a good thing. And getting that, uh, you know, sort of second team, and it wasn't exactly exactly a second team offensive line at the end of the game, getting those guys some snaps really going to help out. And it just did not feel like a Penn state Nebraska game. I mean, Nebraska was, was putrid uh, for most of that game until the end uh, when Penn state for the most part, put their reserves in. Um, so uh, it was just a, uh, it was a fairly good showing, although not a complete showing. Okay. Uh, defensively, we already talked about the ending, but this was a 56, 24 game with seven minutes left couple of notes I had beforehand, again, watching the tape, getting my teletapes out this morning. Sharif Miller, quietly, very, very good. I mean, he was just a pest in the backfield from the get-go. He had some struggles on the right side of that Cornhuskers offensive line. But for him, you know, a game where the stats didn't necessarily show it. He only had a half sack. He had a quarterback. He had a couple of hurries. I mean, he was just a problem in affecting was always consistently around. for yeah. Lee. And he was yeah. a big reason why Lee was uncomfortable in that first half. Yeah, um, you. I think you hit on the head. He was all he, he was all the way around. Of course, Sean Spencer played a lot of guys. Um, got got a lot of different looks. And I know you you are going to go into it with your tail on the tape. The, the three man looks up front, moving Kevin Givens around, bringing Shaka Tony in, who is still at his best when he only plays a few plays a game. Um, so and he didn't have a pressure, which is the bigger part I think of Sharif being able to step up. Eter Grossmatos had a career high for snaps. Um, moving back one area linebackers again they're trying to get cam brown more looks which this was interesting too because as much as you know snap counts will tell you exactly 
how much everyone is playing. It's a matter of when they're doing so and, and how. And for him, it was interesting because typically what you'll see when they go to nickel or sub packages, you're taking one linebacker off and bringing another defensive back on. Well, usually that's a Sam linebacker, so a, a Cole Farmer or Jarvis Miller. What they would do instead was when Cam Brown started out on the field in their 4-3, and this, again, speaks volumes to how I think they want to develop him, is they would take Brandon Smith off, who normally plays the will, and then change Cam Brown, who had been at the Sam, again, typically the guy who's going off the field, and then switch him to a different position mid-drive just so he could stay there. So he's flip-flopping from each position on the other side of Jason Cabinda while they're still playing, which to me puts a lot on his plate mentally, but apparently he could handle it, and that's something new, um, which, you know, who knows what that speaks to about Jarvis Miller, but he's a guy that I, I think they figure is going to figure prominently for them going forward. I think he's going to have to, and yeah, getting him all the reps you can, uh, whether it be Sam, whether it be Will, do you leave Koa Farmer at Sam, hasn't been particularly effective this year, or, or do you move him down in the box and play Will as he's a, one of their bigger guys? Plenty of questions moving forward, but I think you're absolutely right. Get Cam Brown those reps. Um, you know, when he can get in there, he hasn't been great when he's been in there, but you can see some development coming along. And I think you'll continue to see that as he continues to fill out. Yeah. He's been solid. Um, all right. Time for a game ball. Uh, Saquon Barkley. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. All right. I mean, he's, he's really, really, he's still good. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was amazing to see, but, uh, yeah, he got space. He did it, uh, you know, didn't, didn't return kicks this week, which was, which was a little bit surprising, but, uh, you know, the way that the, you know, uh, Ohio State, Michigan State, the way they've been kicking away from him. I mean, why not go back to uh, Brandon Polk and, and, you know, sort of save that bullet for another time? And well, that was also, I think, cause someone asked James about that, said that there were some things he was working through with the team during yeah. the week. Which it wasn't to, a practice on Wednesday right. when, when the media was there. So, yeah, I'm sure that had something to do with it. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was really interesting to fine. see. Yeah, he, he looked fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it took him one play to, to realize, hey, he's okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, Nebraska still tried to kick away, even though it was not Barkley back there. So, you know, still impacting the game in different ways ways i guess yeah all right uh we're going to continue to mix up our normal lineup here on a monday predict the presser keeping people on your toes yeah well it's really for you but under the disguise of keeping the listeners on their toes this is to to keep you ready and attentive 1919 i caught up way to go thanks i know you're super invested but you whether you admit it or not have become more invested as the season gone on and uh so for those of you who are unfamiliar with the segment of the podcast really quickly every tuesday of course the media meets with james franklin james franklin is a head football coach that those types of people are, you know, yeah. yeah, just breaking news. If you're not familiar um, with this, are more ingrained in their habits, in in their repetitions, and their routines, and pretty much anyone else on the planet. So we have a little bit of fun with that when he's, you know, with his opening statement or answering questions. Sean and I made predictions about who is he going to name the player of the game from the previous week, and then one separate prediction: what is he going to mention about the upcoming opponent? So as I mentioned, 1919 right now. Um, because I went three for four last week, I'm going to lead out with my players of the week predictions. This is going off the beaten path. I think Jawan Johnson is going to take the offensive player of the game. Not only did he get his first career 100-yard game, outstanding blocking on Saquon Barkley's first touchdown. That really let him get to the end zone. I think you're going to hear a mention of that. Defensively, a little bit more obvious, Jason Kaminda, a couple of pass breakups, second in the team in tackles, was all over the place, played every drive up until the last two. In a game which, you know, you don't force a turnover, not many other standout performances. I think you got to go with the default. Uh, and then special teams, Kyle Vasey, long snapping in those conditions, perfect every single time. He had a tackle on special teams. You know, this has typically either been a Blake Gillikin or a Tyler Davis all year, or maybe an Earth Charles. That's not going to happen. He hasn't played. Uh, but this is Kyle Vasey's week. I'm calling it. 
Oh man, you're going going to my roots, going to the long snapper. I tried it earlier this year; it did not work. Yeah, um, but yeah, in the in those conditions, that's a hat tip to him. And um, last one, I'll say my separate prediction about talking about Maryland: they're building or have built completed new facilities um, that are close to the state of the art, and I think that's going to get a special mention when he's talking about the Terps. You're stealing my bit. I picked that for Northwestern, I think. And, yeah, but and if I'm lost. stealing your bits, right, then you went 0 for 2, then it would be a bad idea. All right, whatever. You know what they say, though, timing is everything. <laughs> this is the week. <laughs> okay. Um, going with Saquon Barkley, uh, I don't think, you know, I think you can make an argument for Trace McSorley. Like I said, he made some great throws. He ran the ball well. Um, also of course, won last week. Yeah, and he also won last week. Um, on that note, I'm going with Brandon Smith. Ah. I think I actually think Cabinda will get it, but we'll bring up Brandon Smith. Uh, 13 tackles in his immediate starter role. Um, also the only defender to play every series. So if you're going to win back-to-back, this actually might be the week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, plenty of grit there. Uh, Brandon Smith, uh, it, it's been cool to watch him. I mean, it's just a cool story that you, know, you, you don't see every day, but uh, that's why you follow college football. I'm going to go with Tyler Davis. Um, I could go with Billy Fessler, the holder, because um, in those conditions, similar to your Vessi pick, um, you know, Fessler did a good job. Uh, Davis had the two kicks out of bounds, but he converted every PAT um, that he was needed. Blake Gillikin, of course, had the shank, but other than that, he was good. Um, but uh, special teams was really, I think, an issue. Um, yes. You know, just from start to finish, you mentioned it in your ups and downs after the game that uh, the punt uh, punt team, punt return team, uh, just not clicking on all cylinders, which is, you know, something we really haven't seen that much this year. Nope. I have nothing to add. All right. Great. <laughs> well, no, what's your uh, separate prediction? My separate prediction, uh, I, I think once we get into um, Penn State-Maryland week, there's that generated rivalry talk that we mm. hear every year. I just hear James Franklin downplaying it. You know, the the most he's going to say about a rivalry is that they're conference opponents, division opponents, and they've got the location going on. So I, I think he's going to downplay the rivalry. I don't think the rivalry talk is hot as it was, you know, no. two or three years ago. But at the same time, I think he's still going to downplay it, which is you know something that he does fairly regularly. Okay, moving on. Uh, basketball. Oh boy. Yeah, I'm keeping you in your recruiting. <laughs> you are straying from the right to down, the back. But, all right. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, hoops, 4-0. They beat Columbia on Friday. They've got Pitt on tap tonight at 9.30. They're playing in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. They'll get either Texas A&M or Oklahoma State tomorrow. The bigger news, though, is off the court. You know, Tony Carr's injury he sustained last Wednesday. I was there, rolled an ankle, had a heavily taped. Possibly could have come back in. I mean, he was on the bench ready to go. Ended up sitting out the rest of that game. They they beat a good Montana team, which which might sound odd. But their backcourt was very, very good. And I think that speaks not volumes necessarily to this team, but, you know, a win where you have to grind it out. You've got those injuries that hit in key spot where, truthfully, they don't have a whole lot of depth. They're still able to win. And then Friday, Shep Garner, who was dealing with a busted nose, you know, cut across the bridge of his nose. And he's got, you know, a bleeding nostril, at least on Wednesday. Presume that was cleaned up by Friday. That was lovely. Yes. Well, that was a lead to Wednesday's piece. (laughs) Uh, It gets your attention, though. Anyway, so he goes off, takes control of play on Friday, as you'd expect for a senior guard. All of these are very good signs. And not that any one of them would throw the team off. But I think a year ago, these wins are much more difficult to come by. It speaks to the maturity. And who knows what happens again tonight against Pitt or against Texas A&M or Oklahoma State, two very good teams on Tuesday. But they're in a, a good place right now. It's a team that stumbled in the past in some of these situations that you mentioned and, you know, didn't always result in losses, but, you know, they're keeping they're keeping themselves fairly clean. 
clean. Um, you know, still a lot to tighten up, uh, you know, finishing and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's definitely a step in the right direction. I guess we'll see what they're made of in the next couple of days. Okay. And then they'll wrap up with Oral Roberts on Friday, right after Thanksgiving. With Ned, the two Ned Flanders alma mater, actually. To Oral Roberts. Fun fact of the week. Yeah. Brought to you by Sean Fitz and Simpsons aficionado. <laughs> Off the top of my head, too. Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, all right, now it's your time to choose your own adventure. We have two segments left. We've got your beloved recruiting, or we could dive into Maryland. <laughs> recruiting or Maryland? Which am I going to pick? Jason Owe was in town this weekend for an official visit, uh, as was Solomon Enos. Uh, positive re- results, as you will have for official visits. Um, it's going to get really interesting down the stretch. I think the Penn State's space issues are you know, well-defined. Um, even though you know you're not sure exactly how many of those guys are going to come in, I think one interesting thing, um, Jason Owe, I felt was an Ohio State lean coming into the uh, coming into the visit. Penn State gave him a lot to think about. I think it's pretty much a toss up right now, but he's also going to go to Notre Dame and Michigan for official visits. Impressionable kid, and I think that's something that uh, you know. I don't know that this is necessarily a last visit gets the kid, but I think Penn State having the last having the visit after Ohio State really does a lot for him. So uh, you know, Tyreek Smith, Micah Parsons, Jason Owe still at the top of the board for the staff. Especially James Franklin wants to add another a uh, couple of you know another as many pass rushers as he can, and I think that's the sentiment shared by a lot of people just based off the last couple of games with them not getting home. Um, getting to the quarterback. Uh, so I think that's the storyline, man. I mean, that's, that, that's not going to change. Smith, uh, it was at Ohio state this weekend. That mm-hmm. was interesting cause it really wasn't part of his big whirlwind schedule. He'll be back at Penn state December, the weekend of December 8th for his official visit. Uh, Michael Parsons is interesting because Harrisburg lost and nobody expected them to lose until the state title, you know, Shout it, out it, Governor Mifflin. Yeah. Governor Mifflin came in and took care of business in the district three playoffs. Now Harrisburg has a couple of open weekends. So it will be really interesting to see, um, you know, maybe he gets down to Georgia. Uh, like he said, he wants to, it pops up the iron bowl this weekend or something like that. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see if he takes some extra official visits or, or even unofficial visits, um, I still like Penn State there. Uh, my crystal ball, I don't think, is going to change before his December 20th date. Um, but it's just, you know, it adds another wrench into things if you're following the Micah Parsons saga, which really shouldn't surprise you. Um, but, yeah, from there, uh, Solomon Enos remains on the board. Rashid Walker remains on the board. Uh, Steve Wilfong from 24-7 Sports put in his uh, crystal ball prediction for Solomon Enos uh, for Penn Call State. Call my attention. Always does, Steve. Yeah, Steve knows his stuff, man. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if the space is there, I like where Penn state is. If the space isn't there, uh, that's going to be tough. Cause I know they'd love to have, them. I mean, they, they were taking them yesterday if they, if, if everything was, uh, you know, cut and dry, but, uh, unfortunately it's a situation where there's many moving parts and we hate that thing fluid situation, but that's what recruiting is. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Beyond that, uh, two new offers, Zeke Correll from Ohio, Tyler Rudolph from Connecticut. Uh, the Rudolph kid's interesting. He came to camp over the summer, about a six foot 195 corner, ran a 4-4 for the staff. So, Where's he from? Uh, he's from Connecticut. I know you got Oh, him. very good. Sorry, just probably, probably the same prep school or whatever you went to, but uh, no. Uh, Talk about fake news. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we are talking about uh, Connecticut cornerback uh, Tyler Rudolph. Pipeline. Just an, an intriguing guy. It's funny because Penn State's uh, looking into in Connecticut right now because Marquise Wilson is probably their top corner target in 2019. Of course, Tyler Rudolph just got offered. There's some other kids coming in. Uh, the, the talent level in Connecticut, and I, and I hate to patch on the back here, the talent level in Connecticut is actually pretty decent. Well, I have to capital. take all the 
credit, especially considering my family has moved out of the state. Um, you know, I've just left a legacy behind that's clearly carrying on. That's obviously it. Uh, a couple of the visitors of note, John Mechie was back in town for his third visit. We talked about him on the podcast uh, heading into the game. Uh, you know, I just continue to like where Penn State stands. I don't know uh, how I can get around saying, you know, Penn State, I think, is the leader. I think they're going to get him eventually, but I just don't know that he's ready to pull the trigger. Trevor Keegan, uh, offense, four-star offensive lineman in from Illinois for the weekend, his second visit to Penn State. Uh, had some positive things to tell Steve after uh, after the game last night. Um, and Jalen Berger. Um, Jalen Berger is a guy that's interesting. He's a 2020 kid. Penn State offered him at camp this summer. Worked him out as a running back. I think he can also be a safety. He's just an athlete. I mean, uh, an athlete from one of the top conferences in the country. Uh, plays at Don Bosco. Um, you know, uh, EJ Barthol's a recruiting uh, assistant for Penn State now is you know he came through that conference has a ton of connections up there as well so um, just a couple of guys to look at and uh, you know it was a soggy day Penn State still was able to host a, a very good group of visitors and, and I think that'll you know pay off moving forward yeah from you know on the outside it looked like they'd enjoyed themselves and we'll see what happens down the stretch you know December is going to be a big day um, speaking with Terry Smith last week I remember we had a conference call once a week with an assistant the question was. You know, for you personally as a defensive recruiting coordinator, what's the dynamic like now? What are the biggest questions you have to answer between now and December with the first signing day? Because honestly, it's whether to throw a party then or in February. And that's a good spot to be in overall. Um, you know, of course, there's still things out there and, and situations to be determined. But, um, you know, as far as 2018 goes, I mean, it's pretty much been the same since we've been speaking since September. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's really interesting what a close like this can do. And I know the schedule right now kind of sucks um, also soggy <laughs> yeah um but but at the same time you you think back to 2015 and penn state lost Ooh. their last three games of course lost the tax slayer bowl um didn't have the december signing period back then so it was a little different but i mean just any semblance of momentum would have you know at least stopped some sort of bleeding um and you know penn state that january was when michigan came in and ransacked you know some of their class and tried to flip a couple of their guys and it was just like you know just body punch after body punch well now all of a sudden penn state you know wins you know of course wins out last year wins their last three games uh you know this year provided they beat Maryland this weekend. And, you know, it just makes a whole world of difference. And, you know, Terry Smith talking about whether to have the party then or now, I mean, they weren't talking about many parties two years ago. Now they're in a pretty good spot, number three class in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. There will be no party, though. It will be canceled if they don't beat Maryland. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of things would be canceled if they don't beat Maryland. Uh, <laughs> Maryland Not true, of course. Maryland, uh, <laughs> they're, they're struggling. Tough um, spot, four and seven. That Didn't play awful against Michigan State, um, but at the same time, they lost to Rutgers the week before, two weeks before, who, by the way, we talked last week about who would win against Rutgers and, and Nebraska right now, and uh, boy, that'd be a terrible game. Uh, no, there would be no winners there. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think Nebraska would win big after seeing the second half there, and also Rutgers' performance against Indiana, uh, which, you know, you want to talk about senior days. Okay, rain on an actual senior day is, is not fun. But the situation out in Bloomington, that you get a shot at that stadium and how few people were there, I mean, that is not depressing, but as kind of close as you can come to it. And it's been a diff- difficult season for them. Yeah. Um, but like the Terps, 4-7, and seven, 
They've had one win since September, three-point win over the Hoosiers. Um, poor quarterback luck. I mean, that's been the story for them forever. For years, yeah. yeah. It's like the Iowa running back curse. I mean, it's they just keep getting their quarterbacks hurt. And I think Kasim Hill is going to be a good one at, at some point. But, you know, he's, he's got to get healthy. So. Yeah, in the meantime, Max Bortenschlager, whose last name, I mean, if that is not already a, a craft beer in College Park, it needs to be as soon as possible uh, because that's outstanding. He's got 10 touchdowns, five interceptions, only completing half of his passes. But, again, this was never an offense that you expected to air it out. I mean, this is always going to feature Ty Johnson on the ground. They've got a good stable of backs there, some good talent. And, you know, the defense is what you'd expect from DJ Durgan. I mean, they're going to be physical, but this is a, a defense that Penn State ran over through and around a year ago. And, of course, it has a lot to do with Saquon Barkley. But, you know, sometimes they can get them out of their run fits. And then, you know, through the air, they're, they're playing a lot of man-to-man. Where they've really faltered, though, you know, forget run or pass. It's been on third down. And in the second half. So even if Penn State, you know, is maybe up by one or even trailing at halftime on Saturday, I think they're fine knowing, of course, what they've been able to do historically in the second half of games, but also just knowing how this Maryland team is built. Yeah, uh, rough t- rough, rough year for the Terps. Uh, athletes in spots, and I think that's something that we've, we've said in the last couple of years with this team. Athletes in spots, but just not the consistent team across the board to get it done. Um, you know, they, they've run the ball well at times and other times the running game has been non-existent that win over texas feels you know just so long ago unbelievable right yeah unbelievable so uh rough season for maryland we'll get into that more uh later in the week uh what's interesting i mean you were asking me about maryland recruiting a little bit earlier uh, before we went well, on it's the kind air. of a fun fact i mean this is one of those opponents where you could say it about rutgers they share recruiting grounds but the, it's obviously a different tier maryland's getting a little bit closer than, than rutgers is i'd say yeah i'd say so too um with, with maryland you know there's true Traditionally, the overlapping of, of targets, that's because, you know, there's so much talent in the DMV area. You've got the WCAC with DeMatha, Good Counsel, all that kind of stuff. So Penn State's going to be a presence there. Maryland's going to be a presence there. A lot of schools are going to try and pick and choose from there. Um, but Maryland, uh, DJ Durkin's done a pretty good job, not locking it down per se, but getting, you know, a lot of that talent to come through there. Um, you know, they, they've got guys like Austin Fontaine, um, uh, Jalen Duncan's an offensive lineman. I really like, I actually like their offensive line class a lot. TJ Bradley is a kid that Penn State offered, um, from Lackawanna college and it's still a work in progress, but he's a freaking mountain man. He's about six, nine, yeah, almost 300 pounds. He's a big kid. Um, so I like what they're doing with the offensive line class. Uh, you know, they've got some athletes as well. Noah Boykin is a taller cornerback that, uh, you know, a lot of schools are after. I think he visited USC recently, Notre Dame. Um, so a lot of people trying to get him to flip and, and that's been the story with Maryland's class the last couple of years. They've put together some solid groups. And then at the end, you know, people come in and sort of harvest that. Dwayne Haskins went to Ohio State. Uh, Keandre Jones went to Ohio State. Um, so um, it, it's one of those things where you're still at Maryland. You're, you're still lower on the pecking uh, on the pecking order. But DJ Durkin's got the number 19 class in the country. He's got the number four class in the Big Ten, which kind of surprised me. Um, so he's doing a really good job. Even though the new coach bump is is fairly, you know, it's on its way out if it's not gone yet. Um, did a good job while that was in, uh, you know, while he had that groundswell. And the new coach bump, uh, for those of you listening, I mean, when you get a new coach, you're recruiting automatically improves just because you know the unknown basically so you saw you can sell anything yeah you can do it i mean penn state did that with their uh you know the 2015 class they got barkley and those guys uh you know right after james franklin was hired so um it's it's one of those natural things in recruiting and you're going to see it at tennessee you're going to see it at florida um you're going to see it probably at nebraska here soon as well um so it's it's one of those things that happens and penn state was dealing with new coaches at uh, maryland syracuse rutgers virginia tech just everywhere around and it's sort of you know 
it, there were some body punches there that, that Penn State had to absorb because some of these top guys were, were sort of believing in what all these schools were saying. Now, you know, two years removed from that, that's kind of different. Um, so that, that new new coach bump has worn off. But when I look at Maryland, I see potential. Um, Under Armour, of course, is going to dump a, a ton of money into that program. The talent base is there. Um, so these kids are more apt to stay home at Maryland than they are, say, as a Rutgers or something like that. Yeah. So that's going to help them. They're going to they're going to cherry pick a few of these guys every year. Uh, you look at a guy like Iyabi Anoma at St. Francis. Um, you know, Alabama is, is in the mix there. Michigan's in the mix. He's been up here. Yeah, he's been at Penn State. I don't really see them in the mix, but. Um, you know, Maryland's going to be a program that hangs around as long as they can and, you know, could potentially, uh, you know, swoop in the last minute or do something like that. So, um, not a ton of overlapping in the 2018 class, um, but the 2019 class, I expect a little bit more, um, like I mentioned, Penn State's going to be in that WCAC with DeMatha, Good Counsel, St. John's. Uh, you know, St. Francis is on the up and up, although it's not in that conference. So guys like DeMarco Hellams, Keelan, Keelan Robinson, Shane Lee are, are going to be um, mutual targets for both sides. So I think we'll see a little bit more head-to-head um, this year. Um, but Maryland, for the most part, has sort of st- uh, stayed away from Penn State in this cycle. But uh, they're still doing pretty well for themselves. Should be fun. Should be fun. I mean, it's it's really interesting. I I think Durkin's a pretty good coach. I don't obviously I don't think that he has a ton to work with right now. But well, they I, lost so much from a year ago too. Yeah. Which you naturally had that coach bump, and then you've got to make the most out of what you have in year two. But they lost such a significant senior class that you almost can't fault them right. um, for having this downturn that they've had. Particularly considering again the, the terrible luck they've just had. At yeah, the, the quarterback luck. It's <laughs> there's no way getting Everyone's around it. Getting it's just, yeah, but uh, uh, and the Texas win uh, we mentioned earlier. I think that helps. I mean, it shows some sort of turn of potential. So you know, Maryland. I'm not completely down on. I think they can do some things uh, in the future. Future. Uh, just unfortunately for them, they're in, a, they're in a division with Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. So um, it's going to be a, a little bit tougher sledding. So um, it'll be interesting to see that program grow, especially if, if Under Armour decides to try and make them the organ of, of the East Coast. So other note about this game that stands out to me, it's small, but they're actually going to play this in Maryland Stadium, whereas two years ago, this was played in Baltimore, mm-hmm. uh, where the Ravens play, and obviously a little bit further from campus. So this will be in there, Maryland Stadium. Previously named Bird Stadium, Bird Stadium. Um, yeah, one of those places that kind of got renamed because we looked back into the past and said, "Hey, that person was a horrible racist," and so <laughs> this can uh, no longer uh, linger. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that will be the you know Under Armour Dome at some point, or you know properly named Plank Place. Yeah, I that mean, sound? The, the, there's potential there, and that's a, that's a, I've been saying that for a couple of years, and it's just um, it's a program that's that's got a little bit behind it, and uh, enough behind it, I guess I would say. So. And fertile recruiting grounds around it. Mean, yeah. And, and playing it, playing on campus, I think is a big deal for them. You're, you're I, it takes, you know, it, it shows you where you're at in the pecking order when you're going to give up a home game or whatever to, to go to a neutral site, um, to, to sort of take the check, you know? So, um, so Maryland's trying to get, uh, to make some headway. I think, uh, Penn state, I don't know if it's the blueprint for them, but obviously it's something, some, it's a program that they look up to as a, as a potential, Hey, we'd love to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't have mailbag because we let out with it, so this is a little weird. I've been trying to pass it back to you to close out the show because <laughs> I don't know how to handle this. But Not know. ending with the mailbag almost would be like ending on an unfinished sentence. 